Oracle Soup. Dishing up tasty morsels of tarot wisdom and other oracular tidbits with your hosts, Katrina Wynn and Gina Thies. Two saucy sisters broadcasting from the magnificent Oregon coast and from deep in the heart of Texas. And inviting your questions about tarot, oracles, counseling skills, reading advice, and more. Be sure to visit our website at oraclesoup.org to listen to our podcast archive. You can also visit us on Facebook and like our Oracle Soup page, where you can share your wisdom and request for Oracle Soup topics. Soup is hot now, and it's ready to be served. Welcome our Oracle Soup friends and you, those of you who are new listeners and kind of checking us out. This is going to be a really, really interesting talk, isn't it, Gina? I think so. Aren't they all? But <laughs> well, yeah. this, is a, this is a good one. This is really a good one. I, I, I say they're all good, but this is a really, really, really good one. This is the kind where you definitely want to be in a quiet room, perhaps have a notebook out so you can take some notes. This one shut me up. That's how good it is. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to be hearing our voices very much. Katrina over here in Oregon and Gina over there in Texas, because when we were meeting with our friend, which you will be hearing from, Christine Payne Towler, uh, she is what one would call an independent scholar. And as this independent scholar, that means she's one of the rare people in the Tarot world whose priority is to do research and to look into the history and dig up those facts and put them together in a meaningful way. And understanding Tarot in maybe a completely different way than the person who wrote your deck in the book that went with it may have interpreted. So I think this is really valuable. We were so fortunate to have her. We've been trying to put this little kitchen table conversation together for a while. And of course, Gina and I love, 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 love her deck and her books. Right, Gina? Oh, absolutely. Um, I got to talk to her uh, last, about a year ago, and she asked uh, me to review her book, um, The Foundation of the Esoteric Traditions, which was volume... um, I think two of the Terror of the Holy Light, and which is the name of her deck. Which is the name of her deck, and I cannot tell you. I don't know where this woman. She just thought she said someone told us we should be friends, and um, when someone says that to me, I never know um, where that. You said that to me when I first I, met you. Yeah, I know, and it's like, what what information <laughs> are people giving to these people about me? But apparently, what she's into in terms of in terms of her book and what she's talking about in terms of the very foundations uh, that 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 are found in Tarot in terms of the esoteric skeleton that's contained in tarot was like mind-blowing for me and like oh yes if you just start talking about hermeticism you know i just start drooling right it's like yes just just talk to me it just mesmerizes me so that's a whole lot of drooling going yeah there was just a whole lot of drooling going on for me so (laughs) well if you'd like to drool along with us we invite you to listen to this very very special kitchen table conversation with christine payne towler and I had such a 
special opportunity to have her with us at the uh, my annual Tarot retreat here in Oregon. That's right. And we had such a dynamic time and we did some really cool readings and pulled all our decks together and it was just powerful. Just powerful. I love her. If you'd like more information about her, please go to our oraclesoup.org website and to the specific podcast page and we'll have the links for you there. That's right. So enjoy this and like Katrina said, take notes. Um, and we will have all this contact information and she is doing this, all this hard work, putting this material together. So do, um, contact her, reach out for questions. If you have any, she is like a walking encyclopedia of information. So be sure to reach out and follow up with her. If you have any questions, she will be willing to, um, talk your ear off about any of this uh, information as well as us um but she's the she's the woman to go to of course so enjoy this as we did and have fun this is katrina Wynn, and you know what i'm not out in california and i'm not out in texas right now i'm sitting in cyberspace and I got my cyber sister here. We're getting ready to have a kitchen table conversation. Right, Gina? That's right. But guess where you still are in? I, I, I'm in cyberspace. But you know what? I get to look you in the face, and that's good enough for me. Uh, well, okay. Uh, yeah, that's good enough for me, too. So welcome to another episode of a kitchen table conversation. And we are so lucky to be here with another great sister, Christine is here. Christine Payne Taller, right? That's right. I just wanted to make sure I didn't screw that up because you know us Louisianans, we'll put a name on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll stick. And then, and then oh. your cousins will call you that. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> Plenty of that with the name Christine Payne, you can imagine. <laughs> Did you get some of that as a young one? You're, you're a pain in the... No. Many, many layers of it. Well, you know, we are going to talk about something that is sometimes painful, I think. And it's one of those, I'm going to say, often overlooked aspects of Tarot. But it's one of the things I get particularly excited about. And I know you do too, Gina. And it has to do with scholarly work in Tarot. You know, those people who do the research, those people who really try to find those breadcrumbs in the history and to try to educate us about the facts. Because it's really easy to make things up and being intuitive and being in the moment and interpret the cards. But what about where the cards came from? What about what the cards themselves tried to say, at least to people hundreds of years years ago and of course is that valid today that could be an interesting side talk but yeah so christine welcome and we brought you your very favorite tea here we've got this irish breakfast tea mm, hope you enjoy being at our table it. sounds <laughs> yummy thank you well you know there is within tarot a whole esoteric tradition and so in terms of there's a camp there's there are camps I would say that focus on that some people use it some people don't some people don't care about it some people are aware some people aren't so what's your approach what do you bring to that what are your interests around that my interests you know the first decks I found were from the French school guys uh, I was Moni Sadu uh, Pappas Tarot the Bohemian and then C.C. Zane. So everybody that I first studied with was looking backwards and collecting references through the classics. 
and I didn't know because I there was no Tarot community around me. I didn't know that there was a whole Anglophile 20th century new transformation of Tarot. I just took my teacher seriously, found very soon Eliphas Levi and Oswald Worth. And of course, the deck that I got was that black and white deck that C.C. Zane was teaching through the Sacred Tarot. And that's completely uh, astro-alpha-numerical. So all the implicits are there. I have Moni Sadu as one of my first teachers, and I'm reading Levi and Pappas. You just can't get away from the classical tarot tradition. And so I just steeped in that before I had any brains at all. <laughs> and then I saw that they were talking about hermetic num numerology and number theory. And they were also talking about Kabbalah. So, you know, what I learned in college is you read footnotes and you read the bibliographies and you go look things up. So, uh oh, and being a bibliophile, <laughs> I go and buy the books. So, uh, once it's on my, oh my show. Now, that's yeah, a nice word for us. A I, bibliophile instead thank, of a book. Thank you for naming me. <laughs> I like that. I feel better already. I know, right? <laughs> I'm from a book family. Okay. And there were books in every room, and I had my own bookshelves, and I just never thought twice that I, you know, I mean, I kept up with college, but I started stocking my shelves for tarot and astrology. And, uh, I suppose I did what you're supposed to do when you're studying the art of memory, which is you plow and sow your imagination with the archetypes. And then you cultivate that until it grows into the garden that you want to use. So, you know, I was in college, but I also realized I was not getting an education. I was not getting an education, mm -hmm. but I, and I could pass my classes and I could write and I could do what was necessary, but it wasn't as numinous to me as the Tarot was. And plus, as soon as I went, went to the dorm, I was a freshman, um, my closest friend who was a junior said, oh, I know what that is, that's Tarot, and you're supposed to shuffle and throw it out, and you do a reading, you know. <laughs> And the first deck I brought home was a piece of junk, but they had the instructions, one line, and it stayed with me ever since. It said, um, shuffle the cards and think about what you need to know, then throw them into this pattern and make up a reason why this card fell in this position. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Make up a reason. <laughs> I mean, in a way, that's kind of what's going on. Hey, that's, that's what on. we are. <laughs> but doing you know, that's what we're day. doing. And um, as you're as you're as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, why is it so that that is accessible to people, and all the other stuff? When you start talking about, you know. Uh, Pappas and Hermeticism and stuff, and it's like it goes like this. You, you mean know, over people's heads? Over, huh? over people's right. heads. It's like right. Well, of course, there's a reason for this. Okay. Of course, there's reasons for this. Um, first of all, uh, every century, a new group of people rushes forward and reinterprets what just happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, and because of whatever advantage they have from coming later they can reinterpret it in a way that goes with their wave. Mm -hmm. And so you see these, you know, Tarot just laps across the cultural beaches with these waves and becomes this for this group and then later that for that group. So that aspect of Tarot tends to be the most interesting 
Um, especially because tarot is an art project, right? You go to Europe and every third person has made a tarot deck. If they're an artist, you make a tarot deck. You don't expect to be esoteric, but you demonstrate that you are capable of pulling off 78 images with consistency that represent a set of works. So in the place where tarot came from, uh, it is an exercise in those same memory archetypes, those same intellectual categories. The project I'm working on right now at home is a presentation on the mathematics of Tarot, the actual number uh, activities that are going on in the cards, both uh, the, well, there's, there's so many levels of it, I don't want to bother you with all of it, but there was a formal education that anybody who played with the cards in this way would get. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with the meaning of the individual numbers. And you can take this just one through 22 with the stacks of correspondences that already existed in the 1500s. And you can proceed to knowing those things. You can deal out exactly what your values would be in the card. Now, one person might use them a little differently than another and we have wonderful research projects on how many different themes that they've found projected onto the older cards okay so different people were doing just what people are doing now using the cards to this categories and i want to kind of cut in there for a moment because that is something i'm kind of curious about is the fact that some people are, let's say, against the idea that as we evolve, we really shouldn't be changing the original meanings of whatever the interpretation of the original meanings are of certain decks or cards, while other people say, well, no, even that was a snapshot of the meaning in that moment in time, and that as we go through time, our understanding of the cards evolve. And do you get where I'm going with I that? get where you're going, and what I'm going to say is that's a false duality because the thing that does not change is the outline of the cards, the numbers they have, mm -hmm. the names they have, mm -hmm. and the roles of the individual, the royalties. So you have, in the minors, you have a set of suits and numbers. In the royals, you have a set of roles and mm -hmm. suits. And in the trumps, you have these 22 unique icons that each partake in all the associations that the numbers would have, which then include letters and astro-alpha numeric correspondences and all that other stuff. So if you are pretending, and maybe it's all just a big pretense, but for myself, I've gone back and I've studied the testimony of the people who were doing this magical metaphysical mojo at the time. It stems from the Paracelsian approach of bringing astronomy and historical mysticism into medicine. So there's a very specific places you can look and it's between Paracelsus and Bohem is where I put myself. So uh, late 1400s through about 1600. Mm -hmm. And so I just collected all the testimony and tried to, I mean, I can't read in those original languages. So I am hampered and hobbled by the fact that as the best that I can do is find the best translations and find the best analysis and then try and stack them up both against and for each other because you know everybody has their own opinions and all these researchers are coming from their own corners and mm -hmm. many things many places I've looked for the information I needed 
was not in books that are about Tarot. It is ah. in books that are about the 1500s ah. and about the intellectual pursuits of the time and about how yes. those guys handled their belief systems around magic and whatever they called magic and whatever they included in it and how, what the operations they were doing. And that's why I said I've settled down. Now, I got some wonderful guidance. Um, one of the Kabbalist teachers, and I want to say it's Gershom Sholem, and I hope I'm right, um, did an analysis of all the stages of Kabbalah across Europe, and he had to admit, and he came to in a very important conclusion, that Jacob Bohem was one of the major bringers of uh, Kabbalah to the Christians. Now, that sounds about right. Right. There, he was in a great location. He had a lot of esoteric connections. He was a high-level theorist. He did writings that went all over Europe, and he was a prototype person for uh, Rosicrucians and Masons. You see his work just spreading out. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where I placed myself at 1600 and used the values because he's so articulate in his images. You can see exactly how he's using the alphabet, the numbers. He's... Uh, He's a, he's a consummate teacher and was an artist himself, and he had engravers as students. And so his art and legacy have gone forward. And that's why you see him as a uh, progenitor for many of the, um, like I said, the Masons, the Rosicrucians, the um, alchemists of the 1600s, 1700s. They were using his vocabulary because he was such an exquisite synthesizer and he had a vision that cut through um, a lot of tangles. And this was just as, um, between the 14 and 1600s was when the first of the Hebrew books were translated first into Latin and then finally into the uh, European languages and so you see them penetrating from the southern Europe north and and uh, so Bohem was in a perfect place to catch it as it rolled in his direction he lived in an area where there was a big Jewish community mm -hmm. and there was also a big alchemical community and they were all looking at him even when he was young because he was boiling over with insights and it drove his church crazy and they put him under interdiction for 10 years told him he couldn't write so people smuggled his works out and published them in other countries and that's um, that's basically why we have it because his um, Lutheran pastor tried to burn all or you know banish his ability to write so call me naive but what was the thinking behind that what were they really trying to banish well you know he was such a good Lutheran that he knew the Bible better than most ecclesiastics and he was doing obvious alchemical magic with it just knowing how to work all the mm. terms and concepts because he understood the uh layer cake of the mysteries this is why i used him as my prototype for this volume two uh foundations of the esoteric tradition because he was like a bindu he was like a knot right there between right. the ancient past and what we now see as postmodern. So, Christine, what I want to say is, um, you and I have talked in the past, and why I've gotten so excited about your work is because in my own research and, and just being on this path, you run into things, and it's like, 
you know, you run into the same thing and it's like, it's all pointing to this certain person, this certain time period. And it's like, okay, these connections, I'm hitting this connection, but it's like, why, um, uh, this particular time period, this particular person, this is, there is something there. So thank you for all of your hard research and what you're doing and bringing, because it's important. I understand sometimes it's even unpopular because different people are going to have different interpretations or they're going to follow different strings of thought. And sure. so the conclusions they come up with sure. may not match what your conclusions are. That's but the, right. But what I, the last thing I would like to look at is just a more personal note of your own dedication. How does one stay true to their understanding in the midst of challenge? If you love history the way I do and it's because of the family I grew up in then you know that all lies get uncovered because anybody trying to cover something up they have to die at some point and their stuff goes into either the trash bin or the history books or whatever and within a hundred years two hundred years it's all found out so um, <laughs> you can't keep the truth down. Well, it's buried in the alphabet. The, uh, the reality of all the esoteric disciplines is they all stem from astrology. And astrology continues going on over our heads at all times. Mm-hmm. So Jupiter remains Jupiter. Venus remains Venus. All the qualities that the ancients saw in the zodiac and the rulership system mm-hmm. and the correspondences that they built up, that's all still going. It's still going, it's and, still going on. And, and so if you started from scratch and started studying it, would it be that you could easily draw the same conclusions? I don't know about easily because as far as I understand it, the astronomical baseline was laid for us, moderns, with the Alexandrian synthesis and the astronomical writings of Ptolemy and the astronomical uh, treatise, the Sefer Yetzirah, that the Hebrews used to teach. So those two books, or those two references, went through Europe and taught astronomy to Europe. And alchemy is buried in astronomy, astrology, especially the the rulership system and the essential dignities and stuff. The, The alchemical lingo is grounded in that. Well, upon that, then, the hermetic speculators of the Renaissance and the Christian Kabbalists who were stealing the Kabbalah from the Hebrew people uh, built another couple of layers on this Tower of Babel and up around, you know, the turn of the 1400s, we get the Tarot as the flashcards of this. Aha. So you can <laughs> say that one more time. The Tarot is the flashcards <laughs> of the essential alchemical wisdom which is buried within the astrological wisdom which is based on astronomy and and then okay <laughs> and on top of it have been built the pythagorean hermetic philosophy <laughs> on the one hand and the kabbalistic philosophy on the other and everybody's been cross-pollinating all along they are these are not isolated things in europe people discussed their mysteries Sweetly, I mean, in some places they didn't have to kill each other. It wasn't a constant burning at the stake. So this is what I'm interested in, and this is what I'm trying to bring forward, because I think we just forget that these things arose with their own meanings in them. It isn't necessary to embroider on top of them until we have learned what we're looking at. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for teaching us and reminding us and 
piecing all those bits of history together. You're welcome. Yes, this is I such a it. great like, and we could do this, and this would be like a four-hour talk, <laughs> listening to you and putting <laughs> it all together, that. right? So, thank you so very much for sharing some time at the kitchen table with us. I've been thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us on Oracle Soup. We invite your comments and podcast suggestions on our Facebook page, also called Oracle Soup. And be sure to visit our website, oraclesoup.org, for hot new servings of our saucy talks. You can also subscribe to the Feed Burner or listen to our pantry of Oracle Soup archived recordings, along with articles and links to more resources. Be sure to visit our personal websites to receive more information about us and the things that we offer individually. For Katrina, visit tarotcounseling.org. And counseling is spelled C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G dot org, like in Oregon, O-R-G. And for Gina, visit tarotadvisor.com. An advisor is spelled A-D-V-I-S-O-R. This content and the content of these podcasts are intended only to provide a summary and general overview on matters of interest. It is not intended to be comprehensive, nor does it constitute legal advice or legal opinion. This content is intended, but not promised or guaranteed, to be current complete or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. You should seek legal or other professional advice before acting or relying on any of the content. And thanks again for listening to Oracle Soup. Y'all come back now.